0: Would you turn to the book of Jonah please, Jonah chapter 1. to read verses 1 through 11, and then verse 15, and then some from chapter 2 and chapter 3. May we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and three days later was raised from the dead. And He's alive tonight to bring unto Himself and to make citizens of heaven, while we're still in the earth, those who will come by faith to Christ. Help folks to come to Jesus even tonight. In his precious name we pray, amen. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was in danger of being broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And from where camest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the man man knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do for thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea raged and was tempestuous. And in verse 15, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. He, cried, he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of Sheol, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the sea, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thine holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with its bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spoke unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried, saying, Yet forty days, and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe upon him, from him, and covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he cast it, he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. We have just read the famous story of Jonah. The fourth chapter deals with Jonah's displeasure over the repentance in Nineveh and over God sparing the city. But suffice it to bring to our attention tonight the background for the greatest revival in all of history. A city of exceeding great metropolitan area repented at the preaching of a prophet who had been a runaway servant of God until he had a revival in his heart and then the whole city listened to God. Jonah was a native of Geth Hafer in northern Palestine which we call today Galilee. He lived during the reign of Jeroboam II from the year 790 to the year 749 BC. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25, we have a reference to Jonah. Speaking of Jeroboam II, he restored the border of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel which he spoke by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of geth Jonah apparently declared to Jeroboam the importance of restoring the coast of Israel from Hamath to the Dead Sea. And Jonah was such a man of God that the king of the land listened to his word, and he did according to the word of God. Notice that Jonah was a statesman. He was a prophet. It is said by those who have studied the scripture carefully that in all probability Jonah was the most famous man in all of northern Israel other than the king. We might compare him to Billy Graham today in the polls that are taken in our nation. Many times the president will be declared to be the most popular man in America. And many, many times in the last 20 years. Billy Graham has been said to be either the second or the third most popular or most famous man in America. Well, Jonah was a man like that. He was well known through all of Galilee. He was well known in all of Israel. He was the son of Amittai. But other than this, very little is known concerning his home or his parentage or his descendants. Jonah was the one man in all the kingdom of Israel in that day whom God called to be his spokesman to the heathen, relentless nation of Assyria. Assyria was a world empire for about 300 years. When you compare that to America, our nation observes its 200th birthday this year. But Assyria had been a world empire for 300 years. It was Assyria which 20 years after the writing of this book, after the ministry of Jonah, came down into Israel and captured northern Israel in the year 722 B.C. and led Israel into captivity And the nation the ten northern tribes of Israel were never heard of again. Assyria began its rise to power about the same time that Israel divided under Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Assyria was committed to the policy of exterminating Israel. And so the Israelites hated Assyria very much like the Israelites today hate the Arab countries. Imagine some prophet from Israel being told to go to Ammon or to go to Beirut or to go to Cairo and preach repentance and to preach for a revival so that those Arab countries could be spared the exterminating force of God. Most of the prophets in Israel would say, No, I don't want to do that. And so we are introduced to the man Jonah and his times. Jonah was patriotic. He was a man who loved his own nation. He was a godly man. He was a God-called man. He was a God-fearing man. Some have said that the reason Jonah wanted to run away from God's plan was because of racial prejudice or because of his concern, lest Assyria did repent and God should spare it because Assyria was committed to exterminating Israel and driving them into the sea and capturing them. Well, all of this may be true, but as we see the story unfold, we see that there was another problem Jonah had. In this chapter, we see Jonah's commission. We see Jonah's rebellion, we see the consequences of of that rebellion, and we see the prophet's prayer and a great revival—the greatest revival in all of history. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come against me before me." Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It has been said that Nineveh proper was three miles long, and one and a half miles wide. Greater Nineveh included Kalah, 20 miles to the south, and Karshbad, 10 miles to the north. The triangle formed by the Tigris and the Zab was included in the fortifications of Nineveh. Nineveh was an exceedingly large city with a metropolitan population of over a million people. And it was to this city that God said, Jonah, you get up and go and preach to that city. Now first of all, We need to remember that when a man gives his life to Jesus Christ and when a woman gives her life to Jesus Christ, whatever their age, whether they're a junior boy or girl or a teenager or a young married person or an adult, whoever we are, we yield in an unconditional surrender to the will of God. We do not come to God and find out His directions so we can consider whether we'll do it or not. God does not reveal His will to us that way. Rather, His will to us is revealed as we make an unconditional surrender to Him. This is the reason when we trust Him as our personal Savior, we need to say, Lord Jesus Christ. Not just I'm trusting my Savior Jesus, but I want Christ to be my Lord, unconditionally yielding my life and mind and heart to His will so that whatever He leads us to do, we're willing to do it. God may lead some to be storekeepers. He may lead others to work in factories. He may lead some to teach in schools. He calls many to be preachers, some to be missionaries. He calls men to all walks of life. And whatever is called to us, we need to yield in that call to the full realization that our main supreme business is to do God's bidding, regardless of what the call and what the emphasis. I appreciate the medical profession. and When you find a medical man who is an out, out and out Christian, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart, there's no end to what he can do. I think of Dr. William Rowlett, who used to be a deacon in our church and is now in Hopkinsville. Dr. Rowlett, conceives of himself as a servant of the Lord. He went to school and trained himself so he could perform delicate eye surgery. But his main business is for the Lord. There's hardly anybody that goes into his office that doesn't have a gospel witness presented to him through the heart and the lips and the impact of Dr. William Rowlett. Dr. Rowlett spends his summers, many, many years, going to mission compounds all around the world paying his own expense to aid in our, with our medical missions overseas in India, in Africa, in the Near East, in the South Sea Islands, and so on. This is what it means to be committed to the will of God. Not only does God want doctors to do that, not only does God want preachers to do that, not only does God want missionaries to do that, but He wants us all to do that. Every one of us has a purpose for life. God has a plan for every man's life. He has a blueprint for every one of us. And when we set ourselves to find God's plan, God's blueprint, God's will for our life, then God can use us. This is the kind of man Jonah was. Until one day God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to that exceedingly great and wicked city. Now this was the prophet's commission. He had received his commission from the Lord just as we receive a commission. Jesus said, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. You know the quickest way to backsliding is when you find out what God wants you to do. You hear the preacher, you read the word of God, you find that God has a special thing for you to do, that he wants us to all be tithers of our incomes. And I say, no, I'm not gonna tithe my income because I can't afford it. That's the first step toward backsliding. We find in the word of God that God wants us all to be soul winners. And we say, no I can't be a soul winner because I can't talk in public and I just don't know what I'd say and I'm scared and I'm timid and I can't do it. That's the first step to backsliding. When we find what God wants us to do and we say, no I'll not do it, that is the verge of backsliding. You may not know it. You may not think it at the time and I think that's what we run into with Jonah. I don't believe he intentionally wanted to treat God dirty. I don't believe that this great man of God intentionally wanted to turn his back on God. It happened gradually. Look in verse 2, God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. In verse 3, we find the prophet's rebellion, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship and so on. The first thing that Jonah had in his life was a but. B-U-T. There must be no B-U-T's in our life when we yield to the will of God. We cannot come to God and say, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll use my talents for you, but don't ask me to sing in the choir. Lord, I'll serve you. I'll use my gifts for you, but don't ask me to go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Lord, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But God, don't ask me to be a soul winner. Don't ask me to be a Sunday school teacher. Don't ask me to be a tither. Don't ask me to go to church Wednesday night. Don't ask me to go to the revival every night in the week. Don't you know, God, I've got other things to do? We put a B-U-T in the way. And this is a step toward backsliding. God said, Jonah, get up and the to Nineveh. The Bible says, but Jonah arose up to go to Tarshish. He rose up to flee down to Joppa. He wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Oh listen, the safest place in the world is the circle of the will of God. The safest place on the spot of the earth, the face of the earth, is right in the circle of the will of God. If you want to be safe, if you want to have great peace in your heart, if you want to have joy in your life, draw a circle on the floor. Get in your home, get in some private place and draw a circle in your life. Get inside that circle and say, Lord, I am your property. I'm going to take your word in your hand and whatever you show me to do, I'll do it. I'm going to listen to those that have spiritual concern for me and I'll do what you lead me to do through them, through your word, through the Holy Spirit. I'll never say no when God says go. That's the, po- that's the secret to the successful Christian life to the life that counts for God, to a life of perpetual revival, of a life where God can use us to go on for Him. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Now notice there are four things that he went down in. Number one in verse three, he went down to Joppa. He went down to a substitute for God's call. Joppa was a city over on the other direction Nineveh, where where Jonah was, probably in, maybe he was in Samaria, I don't know exactly where he was when he got this call, doesn't tell us, he was in northern Israel. But anyway, Nineveh would have been over to the east and the north of Jonah. Joppa was down to the south and west of Jonah. Those of you who have been to the land of the Bible know where Joppa is. Joppa is where the modern city of Tel Aviv is. And some of us have been to Joppa, the very spot where Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. And he went the other direction, instead of going the way God said, he was scared. He said, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm afraid to go to Nineveh, that's a great exceeding city. And I don't know whether I want to go over there or not. Uh, maybe Jonah was afraid that if they repented, God would spare them. And he didn't want them spared because he wanted to, vengeance on, on Assyria. And he loved his nation and he wanted his nation to go on going on. I don't know all of that. I know just one thing that Jonah said no when God said go. Now I'm not being critical of Jonah. I've heard men rake Jonah over the coals. I think we ought to consider ourselves lest we also be tempted. I think when we look at Jonah, we need to remember that he was a man of God, that he loved the Lord with all of his heart. But there came this crisis time in his life and instead of saying, yes, Lord, I'll go, even if it means my life, even if I don't live any longer, I'll go. He didn't do that. What a tragedy. He went the other way. And so he went down to Joppa, a substitute for the will of God in his life. How many people have substituted something for the will of God in your life? You've heard God's call. You've heard God's tug at your heart. God said you needed to do certain things for Him. And so you've done something else, something that was good, something that the world thought was alright, but it wasn't what God told you to do. And Jonah went down to Joppa. Secondly. Look in verse 3, verse 5, but Jonah, no, in verse, the last part of verse 3 it is, and Jonah paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them in a tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He paid the fare, he went down to sin. He went down to Joppa, a substitute for the will of God, and then he got on that ship and he, went, he paid the fare for the ship. He was going across the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, to, Joppa, to, to Tarshish, to get as far away from God as he possibly could. There are many people who, when they take a substitute route, instead of following the perfect will of God, they go the other direction. And you can't begin to go the other direction without the consequences. And so we come to the third... Uh, The third point you might say in tonight's outline concerning Jonah, the consequences for his rebellion. And we're still considering the places that Jonah went in going away from God. He went down into the hole of the ship. And the scripture says he paid the fare. There's always a price for running away from God. It's always a price when you run away from God. And uh, Jonah later came back to God. And God used him in an unusual way. Whole city of Nineveh repented. But listen, there's a price. Sin leaves its scar. God doesn't want us to enroll in his kingdom and to serve him for a little while and go along with God for a little while and then take a nosedive and get out of the will of God. Even though we come back later, that isn't God's will. He wants us to get on board the train and get on that train that's leading toward heaven and just keep on going and going and going and going and going. But Jonah also teaches us that when we do get off the track, when we get out of the will of God, God has a second call to us, and God gives us a second chance and we can get back. But notice that Jonah paid the fare, and the fare for sin is always high. The prodigal son left his father and home. He said, Father, give me what is coming to me, and I'll go and earn my fortune in life. He went out in life. Instead of earning his fortune, he woke up in a pig pen. The pigs had more to eat than he had. And the Bible says he came to himself and he said, I will arise and go back to my father and home. For the hired servants back home have more to eat than I have. And so he got up to go back to his father. But all oh, the price, the price of leaving God out. There are men in this auditorium. There are women, there are teenagers right here tonight who have heard God's tug at your heart, you've heard what God wants you to do, and instead of saying, Lord, here am I, I'll do it, I'll go with God, you've gone the other direction. You've turned away from God, and you've allowed sin to get into your life, and the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, not only a spiritual death in an eternity Jesus called hell, the wages of sin is a death here in this life. <clears throat> I take a stand against smoking, and I love you if you smoke. Please know that. I love you. I don't mean to be offensive or hurtful. I just believe that God teaches that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, and we ought not to take into it that which hurts or defiles. Some years ago, I visited a man. I had seen him in his business and talked with him. I knew he smoked, I, never, I didn't say anything to him about it, I, I regret this now. I didn't say anything to him about it. And that man became ill, he was dying of cancer, lung cancer. I went to his home to visit him and I said, uh, we talked a little while and, and then he said, you know preacher, if I had not smoked I probably wouldn't have this. I'm not saying that everybody that smokes gets lung cancer, some maybe don't. And I'm not saying that everybody that has lung cancer gets it because of their smoke. I think that's not true. There's some that, have it that didn't ever smoke. One of the dear ladies in our church who died of lung cancer told me before she died, she said, I, I never smoked and I worked with people that did smoke and I used to tell them if they don't quit smoking I'm going to catch their lung cancer and I'll die of it. And that's exactly what happened to her. So that's not always true. But I want to say in this individual case that's what happened. So this man We talked a little while, and he said, he said, you know, I wish I had not smoked. And I said, he was a Christian. I said, I called him by name, and I said, listen, friend, suppose six or eight months ago when I saw you down at the business and you were smoking, or maybe it was a year or so ago, suppose I'd talked to you about smoking and told you you ought to quit. What would you have said? Oh, he said, I said, he said I probably would have said you're is And I said, "Well, what shall I tell people who are smoking now and uh They're facing the possibility of lung cancer. What should I tell them from you? That man's gone. As far as I know, he's in heaven. He was saved. He loved the Lord. He said, you tell them that they have a spiritual problem. That was what was wrong with me. It was a spiritual problem. I just wasn't close enough to God. I didn't love the Lord enough. Now, there's a price that you pay when you get your eyes off of Christ and you allow anything. I don't care what it is, whether it's... Uh, some little tiny petty habit or whether it's some uh, monster in your life, whether it's drink or whether it's lust or whatever it is, when you allow something to make inroads in your life and you become a slave to that thing, it it, it happens because you have left God's perfect plan for your life. Because God's perfect plan is to call you into such a close walk with Him that when these things crop up, he'll whisper to you about them and you'll be able to humbly come to the Lord and confess them and turn away from them. And that's when a person has an individual revival, a personal revival in our heart. A revival in the heart, it comes when a man gets in such a spiritual condition before God that he can glow in the earth for the Lord. Well, Jonah went down. Notice in verse five, But Jonah went down into the sides of the ship and he lay down and was fast asleep. The next step in Jonah's downfall, his going away from God, he went to sleep in the place of sin. Now please notice that that ship was not a prostitution hall. That ship was not a dance hall. That ship was not some joint. Jonah was not openly doing things that the world says are sinful and wicked. He was just taking a ride in a ship. What's wrong with taking a ride in a ship? Well, it was the wrong ship going the wrong direction at the wrong time. That's what was wrong with it. And Jonah went down in that ship, and he went to sleep, and he was sleeping in sin. There are some times when we get into sin when the world looks on and wouldn't even recognize that it was sin because it's not open sin. It's not things that people would say, that's bad, that's ugly, that's wrong. There was nothing ugly and wrong and bad about what Jonah was doing, except between his heart and God. He knew it was wrong, God knew it was wrong, but other people didn't know it. Just God and Jonah. And so this leads me to say that there come times in our life when we're out of the will of God and we know it, nobody else may know it. The world may not know it. Our parents may not know it. Teachers may not know it. Our spiritual counselors may not know it but God knows it and I know it and when that happens oh we dare not go to sleep in it. We dare not get comfortable in it. What an awful thing to get comfortable in a position out of the will of God and I'm afraid that's what's happened to lots of God's people today. They've gone to sleep. They've gotten comfortable in a position that was not in the will of God for their lives. And they've they've set up housekeeping, as it were, in that condition. And they've gotten into a normal swing of life in that condition. And yet all along, deep inside, they know they're out of the will of God. That's the way with Jonah. But notice that God didn't leave him alone. If God has his hand on you, God's not gonna leave you alone. He'll disturb you. He'll move in your heart. He'll arrange circumstances. God will move in on your life. So it was with Jonah, he sent a ship, he sent a a storm to the sea and the ship began to move back and forth and it was storm-tossed and tempestuous and the men on board didn't know what to make of it. And so they began to cast things off of the ship and they began to pray and call on all their gods and they didn't know what to do. And they found Jonah down there asleep and they said, wake up, don't you know we're about to go down in the ship, in the sea? And Jonah got up and he looked all around and then his heart, see Jonah was a man of God. Don't undersell this great man. Don't ever forget that he loved the Lord. He really loved the Lord even though he was wandering away from God. And and Jonah said to those men, well the reason for this is me. I'm the Jonah in the crowd, he said. It's my fault. He said, God has sent this ship, this disaster here because of me. And I think Jonah was ready, he was at the end of his rope. He didn't know what else to do. Have you ever been near suicide? Have you ever been to the point, the very brink of going off and you didn't know what to do? You didn't know how to turn back, you didn't know what to do, you didn't know where to go? Jonah was there. So he said, men, you throw me into the sea and everything will be all right. This ship will be get back to its haven and, and harbor, and the, and God will send a storm. Still, still the storm, and everything will be all right. Well, the men didn't want to do this. They had compassion in their hearts. They didn't want to do it. So they threw other things off, and they waited and they prayed some more. And they didn't know what to do. And finally, finally, the Bible says, <clears throat> when the ship would not get still and the storm would not subside, subside, they took Jonah and threw him over into the sea. And you know, the first moments of going into the sea must have been a struggle for Jonah. But Jonah was so far out of the will of God, and yet he knew the Lord. Somehow he was willing to cast himself into the hands of God and say, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh, but I'll cast myself into your hand. And I think at that moment, when he was willing to put himself in the hand of God, you see, he could have told those mariners a lie, and they could have all gone down in the sea. But Jonah's repentance, Jonah's turning back to God started right there when he said, it's me, it's me. And when we come to a point in life where we're willing to say, Lord, it's not the deacon, it's not the preacher, it's not the other person. It's me standing in need of prayer. I'm the one. We need to get on our knees before God. You know, there there are ways to react to problems. Sometimes when you face a problem, you can say, well, it's everybody's fault. Look at all those old people, the way they do this and the way they do that. It's their fault. If it weren't for them, everything would be all right. I don't know. You can do that if you want to. Most of the problems that I face, most of the problems that our church faces, I get in a circle of prayer with my own heart and I say, Lord, I know that it's me, not everybody else. It's not the deacon. It's not the Sunday school teachers, not the others. I get up and preach to them because God tells me to. But Lord, I know that in my own heart, I'm the one that needs to be right with you. And so I first of all ask God for a personal revival in my own heart. I ask God to help me to be in His will. And I ask God to give me compassion and sympathy and understanding and love for people who walk through valleys and who are people who are in trouble and people who have sinned in their lives and people who are out of the will of God. God give me compassion and love and understanding about that. And Jonah said, cast me into the sea. And down into the sea he went. Well, you'd think that was the end. But not with God. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Whither shall I go from the presence of God? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall find me. And down in the depths of the sea, Jonah prayed. That's what chapter two tells us. Jonah prayed. What a prayer. And what a revival was the result of that prayer. Down in that sea, Jonah prayed, and the Bible said that God prepared a fish, and that fish swallowed Jonah. Now, there are lots of people that get hooked on that fish, and they think, well, I don't believe that fish story about Jonah. Well, the fish story is really only incidental as far as the story is concerned. The reason I believe it's true is because of what Jesus said. Jesus himself said, in in the book of Matthew he said as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented the preaching of Jonah and behold a greater than Jonah is here those are the words of Jesus in Matthew 12 40 and 41 Jesus believed that Jonah was swallowed by a fish And that fish vomited up Jonah when God gave the command. And so Jonah was vomited up on dry land. Now the most precious climax to any book in the whole Bible is the climax to the book of Jonah. Here's God's man who knows the Lord, who has been servant of God, who has been following God. You might say he's been a Sunday school teacher. You might say he's been a deacon, been a bus pastor. He's been a great soul winner. He's been used of God. He knows what it means to pray and get answers to prayer. And he comes to a crisis in his life, God says, go. And he says, I don't know whether I want to do it this time, Lord. And he begins to flee and run from God. You can't run from God. There's no place to run. There's no way you can get away from God. If you're God's child, you can never get away. They used to sing a song, you'll never get away, you'll never get away, You'll never get away, you'll never, get away you'll never get away. Well, it's away way with God. You can't get away from God. You might try, but you can't do it. There's no place to go. If you go to the sea, God's there. If you go to the air, God's there. If you go to the moon, God's there. Wherever you are, God is there. So you can't get away from him. And here's Jonah. He's been in a fish three days and three nights. And then he gets vomited up and he's on dry land and God says, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Oh, don't you know Jonah said my Lord I thought I'd missed that (laughs) but Jonah's learned his lesson and what a climax the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time one God's second chance I'm not gonna ask you to hold your hands up here tonight but I wonder how many of you are aware of a second chance God has given you in life isn't it wonderful to have a second chance don't you aren't you glad we have the God of the second chance the God who. Not only when we mess up and we, we, we're out of his will and we don't do what he says to do, he doesn't kick us out and throw us away. He patiently, lovingly arranges circumstances until we can come back with a heart that's tender and open and God gives us a second chance to do his bidding. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. And this time, old Jonah wants to fasten his coat a little bit, pull his stomach around, maybe... He had butterflies in his stomach. He just said, Lord, I'll pray about my butterflies, but I'm gonna go. And he got up and went to Nineveh. Nineveh, an exceeding great city. He got to that city. It's three miles long and a mile and a half wide. And the greater metropolitan area of Nineveh, over a million people, about the size of, maybe the size a little bit smaller than Detroit, Michigan. And Jonah appears. Imagine Jonah appearing in Detroit. And going through the streets of Detroit saying, 40 days and Detroit shall be destroyed. I don't know how long it took for Jonah to get that message across to all the Ninevites. However long it took, he went across that city and he cried. He went to the bank. He went to the schools. He went to the factory. He went to the king's palace. 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And the king heard about it. He sent out an edict. And all the city of Nineveh got down in sackcloth and ashes before God. Our Lord said later, the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment against this generation because they heeded Jonah's preaching of repentance and are greater than Jonah's here. Listen, I take that to mean that the people of Nineveh will rise in judgment against the generation that lives in Bowling Green. If you and I, filled with the Spirit of God, will take God's second chance, and we'll say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go into this city, but first, before I go into the city, I'm gonna get alone with God, and I'm gonna have a private revival in my own heart, and I'm going to yield to thy will and to thy plan for my life, and I'll do what you want me to do. And then, Lord, I'll go out here in the city of Bowling Green and warn them to flee from the wrath to come, to flee unto Jesus, Jesus, the Savior of our souls, the one who can save to the uttermost all who will come to God by Him. The burden of the message tonight? Do what God tells you to do, regardless of the cost, regardless of the price, There may be disappointments, there may be times of tragedy and sorrow and difficulty. Vance Havner had this to say concerning revivals. He said, some hold that the regular activities of the church will care for the spiritual needs of the members, but if that were true, why are our lives not all filled with God? He said, others fear that setting a high standard for church members will frighten away some prospects. I'm sure that's true. You know, we could have a church where we said, come on in, the water's fine, don't have any standards. If you want to teach, you don't have to be faithful. You want to do whatever you want to do, just do whatever you want to do. Do what comes naturally. The pulpit will never take a stand against your sins. You can just live any way you want to, just come to church on Sunday and put your money in. Everything will be all right. I don't believe you want a church like that. I don't believe God wants a church like that. And I don't believe a church like that can do the work that God has to do in this earth today. Oh God, send us a band of praying, committed men and women who, knowing the price of following the will of God, will put their all on the line and say, Lord, here am I. Send me, use me, make me, mold me. And then God can do something with us. The greatest things that have ever happened have grown out of prayer and commitment. I want to ask us tonight to commit our lives to the will of God. Flora Dodson committed her life to the will of God. Flora was engaged to a very handsome young man she, he was a Catholic and he wouldn't trust Christ as his savior. There came a day when Flora had to say, I choose Jesus more than you. And that choice meant spending the rest of her life alone. Oh, she was not really alone because God was with her. But she went to China was there in China for 40 years. The psychologists and those who look at life planning would say why Flora Dodson really missed something in life. How lonely she must have been. But when she got to heaven, what a coronation day, following the will of God for her life. What is God's plan for you? Listen, young ladies, don't be afraid of committing your life to God's plan and God's will. You might not get the guy that looks handsome to you today. God may even say you'll spend your years here in this life alone. But if you'll put your hand in God's hand, He'll use you. And He has a wonderful plan for your life. Young man, don't be afraid to surrender to the will of God for your life. Whatever it means, put your all on the line for God and let Him use you. There's no end to the way the Lord can use your life if you really serve Him. Whoever you are here tonight, God has something special for you to do, and I dare you to do it. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would touch the people's hearts. And may those who have heard the voice of God speak to the innermost being, yield their heart and will and mind to the Lord. We pray that those who have never been saved will come to Christ. And those who are God's children will yield their all on the altar for the Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand please? We're going to sing God's hymn of invitation. As we sing, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. I want to urge you to yield to him, whatever he said to you. You know, you know what God has said to your heart. There may be somebody here tonight who ought to move their church membership to this church, you come. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to come to Christ. If God has spoken to you about his will for your life, will you yield to him and serve him and say, here am I, Lord, use me. Will you do what God leads you to do while we begin to sing, who will step out first for the King Christ Jesus? Will you come right now?